It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Man, I'm, so, I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot, fade away. This the best Celtics podcast day to day. I get excited about it every night about it. A real C's fan wouldn't want to live their life without it. Banner 18 in the making, we got to make it. Best squad in the East and still we can't get complacent. Most winning franchise, so the history's ancient. You can tell the mother guys are going plan a vacation. Yeah, Corrales, Packard, and J. King Locked on, trying to get the 18th ring The most in-depth coverage that you ever gonna hear Well-respected in a city like Russell's career It's raining Jays Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics Podcast Here on the Locked On Podcast Network Thank you, as always, for making us part of your daily routine And this daily routine brings us to the beginning of actual basketball This is the Tuesday Woo! Podcast Tuesday night, Celtics, Sixers, we're pumped, we're jacked, we are the Reign of Jays, John Corrales, that's me, the howling guy you just heard is Samuel Jamison Packard III, Taco Jam, apparently. Taco Jam in the house, working on very little uh, amount of sleep right now, so normally the very calm and reasonable and straightforward guy you're used to on the podcast might get a little loopy here tonight. Who knows? Yeah. So <laughs> let's buckle up, Buttercup. Let's do this. <laughs> Coming up on this fine podcasting program, later on we're going to do our season predictions because nobody's done that before. We'll talk about this starting lineup and, and the um, – opening night and what we can expect from the Sixers specifically. Let's start with practice Monday afternoon Celtics held a practice. couple of notable things coming out of that first Gordon Hayward is going to be limited to about 25 minutes per game. At the same time, Brad Stevens has said he hasn't released his starting lineup. So uh, in the first couple of weeks, we're slowly building Gordon Hayward up to what he's going to be eventually. I guess the question now is, do the Celtics not start him, start him? Well, what do you think they do? Uh, I think it's going to be matchup specific. I can really see them, I guess, going against Philadelphia, maybe starting Baines just to go up against Embiid. But um, I'm not too surprised. I believe I, in fact, predicted the 25 minutes a night for to Hayward uh, just to start the season. And that kind of that makes sense. Um, I think they will actually end up starting Hayward. And uh, the more I think about it, just I think there's so much of a moment of him coming back, uh, playing, just getting through the first six minutes of the game. Like that's going to be important. Uh, like getting the reception from the crowd. I know it's already happened in preseason, but now the games matter. I think they do end up starting him just because. Um, Although it always matters who finishes the game, I do think there is some just like added benefit to like getting Hayward used to being in the starting lineup in that crowd. But um, moving forward, I'm like Brad's all his comments are like the most zen like whoever whoever will have a role on this team will whoever impacts winning the most. And so I think it could be very matchup specific, and I don't see the the starting lineup being that consistent um, for for the entire season. Like I like the starting five, the erotic city five that we all think I wouldn't be surprised if they started like less than 60 or 55 games together, just as that unit based on matchups alone. And we haven't even talked about like top possible injuries. I just think Brad's going to, going to change it up. Yeah. I think he does change it up a little bit. I do think that Gordon Hayward does start because I think when it comes to Hayward uh, or anybody like this, that's trying to work their way back makes more sense to me to start the guy because he's gone through warm-ups. He's gone through his routine. It's it's better to have him just start and get those seven or eight minutes before he sits down, and then at least he's loose. So 16 of those 25 minutes will be, I think, out of either the – uh, opening of the game or coming out of halftime. So he's got a nice solid base and he can kind of keep that rhythm going. And then you just got to figure out the last 
five minutes does he play five minutes at the end of the second quarter and then five minutes in the fourth quarter or something like that it's an approximation it's not going to be exactly 25 minutes no buzzer is going to go off when he hits 25 minutes to sub him out but somewhere in that range so i like the idea of starting him and plus i want to put i want to put philly's defense to the test and i think they go back to the uh not to step on the preview of the sixers but i i do think that they'll, they'll want to kind of see how uh, Markel Fultz defends, and they want to test that uh, the, their defense. And, of course, go back to the, the thing that worked in the playoffs where they pulled and beat away from the, the rim. So uh, I would expect that to be the case. So I think Gordon Hayward's going to get up to his normal 30 to 32 minutes. I don't think he's going to be playing more than 30, 32 minutes a game throughout most of the season, maybe – and that applies to basically all of the starters. We were talking a little bit on uh, yesterday's podcast that having this depth, you, you can limit the minutes. And then you could do things like bring uh, Jason Tatum. You could sub him out early, and then Tatum can start the second quarter and really run with the second unit. And, and you can kind of see how that goes. And so you, you have a, a different different mashups that you can do w- with these guys. I agree it's going to be some matchup based, but. Uh, That's one of the, the main things I'm excited about about this season is it feels like in the first 20 to 30 games of the year, Brad does a lot of experimentation, uh, especially with different lineups, different rotation patterns, uh, and just trying a bunch of different things, basically just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks uh, the classic brad stevens method um but it's going to be interesting to see what his first strategy is on opening night who's who are the starters that first come out to come back in with the subs uh, i think we saw a lot of we saw T- hayward get a chance in the preseason i think they're going to put tatum in that role a lot maybe tatum and horford um just looking into all those strategic decisions it's going to be interesting because uh, Brad Stevens has so many more options this year. And so that's so much more shit to throw against a wall. It's fantastic. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it's going to be super fun to see what Brad Stevens does with all of these guys. I mean, notorious experimenter. And then to have all of these potential options, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be wild. It's going to give us something to talk about. So that's also good. Uh, what else happened in practice today? Not much, not much. The Celtics. Uh, Brad Stevens played some strong post defense against uh, the Time Lord. So Jay King tweeted that out, uh, that Brad Stevens and um, the Time Lord, Robert Williams, working in the post. And it seemed like the drill was, hey, Robert, stop bringing the ball down. And every time he brought the ball down, Brad Stevens slapped it away. Because you can see in the middle of the video that he's kind of talking about, and the coaches, the I don't know what the assistant, who the assistant was, but they're talking about. You can see him gesturing about keeping the ball up high. And it seemed like every time he wanted to duck down, and uh, it's like the old Kendrick Perkins move, where Perk would really crouch and bring that ball down to like his knees. That you get really small that way, so. Every time Brad Stevens is able to like swoop in and slap that away, I'm sure he's telling him, I should not be able to slap that away from you. Keep the ball up. So it's a, it's a little humbling for a guy like Robert Williams to try to make a post move against Brad Stevens and turn the ball over three, four times. It's just, I think it's cool that Brad still participates in like the more active part of practices. I know like there's some coaches that do it. There's this pretty sweet video of Mike Malone dribbling uh, a couple weeks ago. There's a classic clip of Stan Van Gundy dribbling through the legs, but there's some coaches you just can't imagine like participating in drills. And so I think it's cool that Brad uh, is still doing like the more active on ball, like teaching stuff. Uh, he was pretty good in uh, D3 at DePaul. He was like the all time points and assists leader. He, he does have some game. I've heard he's a, uh, he can get pretty, pretty aggressive playing pickup, but I don't know. It's just, you think of Brad Stevens as like this kind of nerdy, coachy just full coaching guy but no he, he played the game too and was actually pretty good at it so i always like seeing him uh, involved in the drills yeah well i mean i do think that even though brad stevens wasn't the best basketball player in the world when when you are an nba coach right you got to be like you're elite you're elite at something that mentality that goes into being elite at something 
is is different. And so that competitiveness, I'm sure, is there. And he he has a very good kind of aw shucks kind of reputation. Although I will say that you could see more and more as as time moves on, he's he's a little bit more um I guess uh, sarcastic. He's he's a lot less um I don't know what the word is. I want to say accommodating, but that's not that's not the right word. He's he doesn't take I don't think as much as he did before. I think he's he's starting to give it back to people. He's more assertive. He, he's you know he's he's slowly more Popovich like <laughs> very by little bits. So my point is that Brad has it in him that oh yeah it's it, it's there. Uh, and I, I mentioned this yesterday, but I'll, I'll bring it up again. Uh, NBC Sports Boston had a mic'd up, Brad Stevens and Marcus Morris mic'd up at Celtics practice. And I loved it. It was only like a minute and a half or so, two minutes, or whatever it was. It's a short, short video. But you could hear, like, Brad's, like, getting really, really into it. He's screaming, good, good, yes, clapping his hands, yes, now this, now this. Like, he is super into it. And you're like... He's got this demeanor that you think, mm, I don't know, but when he doesn't have to be reserved, he, he's not. I, I'll just say that. Uh, the, the, the reserved, aw shucks reputation that he has is because he wants to make sure he says the right thing at the right time all the time. And that's... Like, it just makes me think of every single game, which has pretty much been the majority of Celtics games over the past uh, four seasons, where... They fell down huge right at halftime, and then they made a comeback, and everyone is like, to ask the players, so what did Brad say at halftime? And they're like, he really gave it to us in there. And most people laugh it off, but no, he, he probably really gave probably it to really them did. in there. Yeah. So it's it's interesting. I, I, I think if you could be the proverbial fly on the wall around Brad Stevens the whole day, your perception of him would change a lot. Not to say that it gets negative, it's that it get you get to see like a person that shows a lot more passion. Again, he's he's under more control when he's with the media and during or during, on the bench, yeah. <laughs> during regular season games. But hey, look, during the playoff games, I don't know if anybody else really noticed. He was much more animated during the playoff games. He much much more animated. He he ramped up his level of excitement on the sidelines to match the moment. But normally during the games, he's very reserved, but it's for a purpose. When, when things are going like crazy and the team is either falling apart or whatever, or trying to make a comeback, he is just, he's the counterbalance. When he says not too high, not too low, if they're getting too high, he's going to bring it back and vice versa. So it's all, it's all calculated in a good way with Brad Stevens. Let me ask you a question as someone who's played a lot more formal basketball than I have. Does it make a difference when your coach like can actually show you things with like footwork and technique and be on the floor and handle the basketball compared to just a guy like a, I don't know, someone like an older coach in the league who would just be able to like, I guess, tell you things rather than show you. Well, I think, I think it's good to have, the mixture of both. It's always good to have somebody to tell you specifically your foot goes here, your foot goes there, and this is where you're leaning. When I was in college, my my coach, Hank Smith, uh, was not really athletic. He was not a great basketball player at all. But one of the assistant coaches, Bruce Seals, actually was a member of the 70, what, 77, 78 Sonics. He played for Bill Russell. So he, he, was, he was a legit you know, NBA player who could teach us like, and, and he was definitely way past at that point. It was like in his sixties, but he could still show us and explain, no, here, no, you do this. Now you lean this way. So it definitely helps to have that, but I, you didn't need it. The, the great coaches. And I think Hank Smith is a great coach can pull it out of you no matter what. And, can tell you some of the things that you're doing wrong, even if it's, even if he can't do it himself, he can say, "Look, your your angle is way off. Flatten out. Do this." You know. So, I guess I guess it depends on the the level of the coach's uh, expertise and his ability to get the message across. If he can't 
properly articulate it, then you need somebody who's played the game and can show you. If you got a guy that can see it and tell you and explain it, then it doesn't matter what he whether he's played or not. So basically, you you just need to be you just need to be good at what you're doing. I have uh, full confidence in Brad Stevens that he's good at what he's doing. I yes, I also have full confidence in that. I also have full confidence in the Locked On NBA podcast. That is a five day a week podcast. I've told you that we had last week the uh, the full NBA preview. That's still up. And some exciting changes are coming. Uh, I know that uh, I can't say anything yet, but I, I can tell you that you should start subscribing to the Locked On NBA podcast because I am privy to some conversations. And I can tell you, my sources say, exciting changes are coming to the Locked On NBA podcast five days a week. I am co-hosting with Jake Madison on the Wednesday podcast. Monday, it's the experts, the local experts. We get three local hosts to talk about three of the biggest stories in the NBA. Uh, and we just get a great array of shows. So be sure to uh, subscribe to the Locked On NBA podcast wherever you get your podcasts. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, the Locked On NBA podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Sam, Celtics play a team called the Philadelphia 76ers. Shoot a three, you coward! <laughs> That's going to happen. It, I, can, I can envision a shoot you coward type of chant going on. The first time he gets, Ben Simmons gets the ball with like a any semblance of an open look and he doesn't shoot it. They're just, the crowd is going to go, go ape shit. And it's going to be fantastic. Uh, what happens? The, I, sorry. I have to say what happens if he shoots a three? I, I think it'd be awesome if he got a standing ovation, if he shot a three, it would be, I think the Celtics fans are, are wise enough to, they would cheer that. Um, because that's really what it is. We, I feel like most Celtics fans recognize that Ben Simmons is really good at, basketball right and his game would be vastly improved if he actually just shot some threes and so if he if he did it and like i don't know did like the hulk hogan hand to his ear thing afterwards like that would be (laughs) that would be amazing um i just don't think it's going to happen since all all the comments he said are like uh i'm not going to work on that i'm not looking to shoot but um that'd be fantastic if he played into it but um, I'm excited for the dynamic of this rivalry. Like we, you guys talked about Tatum talking sh- some trash last night and beads, nothing but a trash talker. There's going to be a lot of excitement in the, uh, the gym. And so, especially surrounding Ben Simmons, I, I think he, if he just shoots like that's the, his, the bar is so low. Like he doesn't even have to make a three. All he has to do is hit the rim while shooting a three and he will have like silenced all of his critics. But I just don't think that's going to happen, which makes it even more entertaining. I also don't think it's going to happen. I think it's hilarious if he shoots a three and misses and if he gets this massive standing ovation. (laughs) I think the sarcastic cheer 
can be one of the most effective taunts in sports when another team's player does something like that. Like if he, even if he makes it, if the entire arena cheers him making a three, that that can get into his head because he knows he knows people tag him on shoot a three you coward all over the place. If he shoots a three and makes it and the Boston crowd goes nuts, like he's going to be like, what the hell is wrong with these people? (laughs) These people are crazy. Like that's to me the reaction. And that's that, but that would be better to me than people booing him. If he, if he made the shot or, or doing nothing like doing nothing silences the crowd. And I can tell you from experience, though, my favorite thing in, when I was playing basketball, more than the home cheers was road silence. Because when that road arena is silent, then you know you're doing something good. Home fans are going to cheer you. Sometimes they cheer you to like try to raise your game. They're always going to cheer you. But the road team fans will always go silent when you're murdering their team. And that was my favorite thing. So from a player perspective, that's the last thing I would want when when uh, Simmons does something good, like like hitting a three. I want cheers to kind of get in his head because I swear that would get in his head. I would hope so. It just reminds me of uh, the 2005 ring ceremony for the Red Sox where the, the Red Sox fans gave Mariano Rivera standing ovation. It's just yes. good old, good old-fashioned ribbing is going to be uh, – is, is always fun. But let's – Let's focus on the actual game because there's no way Ben Simmons shoots a three. He's a yeah, coward. That's true. <laughs> um, so what do you think actually happens? We talked about it. I do you think I could see him starting Aaron Baines? Um, basically, uh, it, they were pretty effective with Aaron Baines pulling Joel Embiid out. Uh, uh, well, Embiid couldn't stay on uh, Al Horford, and so when Baines was in the game, they got him in the corner. I don't know. What do, we, what do you see the lineups or the matchups being against this kind of new look uh, 76ers? I'm pretty sure are starting Mel, Markel Fultz yep. uh, instead of J.J. Redick. Yep, that 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 has been announced. So they'll start Simmons, Fultz, uh, Covington, Saric, and Embiid. I I think they go. I think they go with Baines on the bench because if the the Celtics, I think start uh, they're. The, the starting lineup that we think Kyrie Hayward, Tatum, Brown, Horford. So Kyrie on Simmons is going to be an issue. Okay. Simmons is too big. Uh, that's going to be an issue. It's going to be hard for them to contain him. Uh, but Fultz is obviously the wild card. You don't know what he's going to be. I think you can put, um, I think you can put Tatum on him, but it, actually I, I shouldn't even, cause they're going to be switching everything anyway. It doesn't matter. I think when you look at it, I should look at it more from the Sixers perspective on how are they going to guard the Celtics with that lineup? Horford pulls Embiid out of the, uh, out of the paint. Saric has to stay with one of those other guys. Uh, I would say Covington probably would have to check, uh, in that scenario, you probably have him check uh, Tatum and then Simmons. Oh, man, the Celtics are going to be matched up. Nice nightmares for everyone. Yeah, right. <laughs> Simmons has to – Simmons – how does – Simmons would probably then you, check – You can't put Simmons on Kyrie because I just think Kyrie's too fast. Like, yeah. Markel has to guard Kyrie, advantage Kyrie. No matter where you put Markel Fultz in that scenario, I still think the Celtics have an advantage. Yeah. Even if you put him on Jalen Brown, we've seen Jalen Brown ability to post up and – um kind of be a bigger guard and bully in that scenario. I think that it's going to be a, a real interesting matchup to see uh, how they do that. I feel like with that, they would really try to punish uh, the Celtics down low and go to go to Embiid a lot. And so does that force the, the Celtics to go to Baines? It's going to be an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm curious to see the, what the 76ers offense looks like because the Celtics did a great job in the playoffs last year of Living in Embiid, like they're being kind of fine with his uh, touches in the post. Um, getting back, it's creating that wall for Ben Simmons. Uh, and this version of the Sixers just doesn't have the shooting that uh, they did last year with um, Bellinelli and was it Ilyasova? And so, where does the scoring come from? I'm going to see. Curious to see what Markel Fultz can do um, and how the Celtics react to that. I think Darius Saric, uh, we've seen, is a pretty 
pretty damn effective player, but um, mm-hmm. and I think he's pretty good. But I still think one through five, the Celtics have this matchup nightmare that other league, other teams are not going to be able to contend with. But um, I think I'm uh, I'm curious to see how the how the Sixers defend all those five guys, and then what are the Sixers going to do to try to generate offense? They, from like reports, they're going they're trying to generate a lot more corner threes and shoot better threes than they were last year. Um, I think there was something like 28th in the league in corner threes last year, which is kind of insane. Um, but do they run more pick and roll? Is it what, Do they use Markel Fultz? How much are they try, really relying on Markel Fultz? Um, because I think he's the key for their entire season. I agree. I agree. If he can be anything near what we expected him to be coming into the, his career, then then yeah, that's going to be that's going to be tough. Uh, I, I I just don't see the Sixers being able to defend the Celtics, if the, especially if the Celtics are moving the ball. And the Celtics can go one on one. They can they can search out the matchup. They can search out Kyrie against whomever is guarding him and say good luck. But I think if they just can move the ball side to side, it really, that's going to put a lot of pressure. I don't think that that starting lineup with Fultz is cohesive enough defensively to hang with a team like the Celtics. And then when the Celtics are defending, if the Sixers offense wants to run through Embiid post-ups, I say let it. I don't oh, all think, day. I don't think like Embiid posting up is any sort of effective offense for the Sixers, especially when you've got Simmons and if Fultz is effective, him Covington can when he's in, we saw the worst version of Covington in the playoffs, but he can be okay. Saric is, can be a dynamic player, but if you're taking away Simmons and Saric, especially two dynamic players, just everybody's standing around and watching him be, try to post up and do what he does. Go for it. Even if he even if he scores half the time, I feel like I'm repeating something I said in the playoffs last year. Even if he scores half the time, the more Embiid post post ups, the better because he's not passing out of those and he's not sucking in the defense. The Celtics just kind of hang tight. There's not a ton of shooting on the Sixers to really kind of give him a ton more space. That's going to be an inefficient, slow down type of offense. So. Uh, unless they can move the ball, if they want to go to Embiid in the post, and if Embiid, Embiid wants to try to post up Al Horford, fine, fine. There's just I don't think it's gonna I don't think it's gonna be effective. Here, here. <laughs> I, I I I'm hoping that as well. I'm just curious what their what their counter is. Like, do they try and um, with that starting lineup? I agree. I just don't think they have shooting. And that's the, like the kind of the struggle with the 76ers lineup is. You, your two stars are two non-shooters. I know Embiid can occasionally hit the threes, but that's not where you want him. So you would expect him to maybe bring J.J. Redick in. Um, Wilson Chandler, I guess, can shoot a little bit, but it's, they're not going to have the most amount of shooters around Embiid so, uh, and Simmons. So it's going to be interesting. And then, I guess, on the, on the other side of the ball, I'm interested in just seeing what the, the Celtics bench and who, who cracks, I would say, the top eight or top nine, or maybe ben, Brad goes crazy like starts bringing out the time Lord on night one. Although I really doubt that, <laughs> I but, doubt that. but I what think... is the, like, what is the rotation going to be? I see it's going to be Tito smart Baines Morris, but does anyone get Tice. any play time after that? Tice. Tice. That's already, we got 10 guys now. So it. it's going to be curious to see how the minutes actually get allocated. And when, when there's actually a, a real basketball, I think it's, that's, that's going to be it. It's going to be starting Kyrie, Jalen, Jason, Hayward, Horford, Rozier, Smart, Morris, Baines, and Tice. Those are your – that's your 10-man rotation. Ojale, maybe. Maybe. Yabu, maybe. But I don't see them I, – I, I haven't seen enough out of those guys to think that they're going to be rotation players right now. They've got 10 pretty good guys. I mean, look, they're bringing in ten, five guys that were getting playoff minutes last year. Like, that, their bench was their playoff starters for a little, little bit. So – uh, I, I just, I think 10 man, they, they could go 11 just because it's first preseason game. And look, they've got three games in four nights. They come out of the, they come out of the gates hot. So it's not like they, they're, they're going to play everybody like 35, 40 minutes. This is night one, middle of October. There's a big picture. So they'll not overload any of these guys. So we may see full bench units. We may see, some little bit of Ojale and and others. I don't know if uh, 
you know, what about Brad Wanamaker? I mean, he, he could get, he can get a short stint in there somewhere, but I don't think he's going to go too deep. He's not enough minutes, but point is th- there'll be a lot of guys. I, I don't know what Philly's counter is. I really don't. I mean, Wilson Chandler is going to be interesting to see what he does. Uh, Reddick, when he comes in is, is going to be tough if he, if his shooting is on point right away. I don't know how Celtic he's going to be. killer TJ McConnell. Yeah, right, right. It's, we'll see how that goes when the Celtics are at full strength. So it, it hinges it hinges a lot for Philly on Markel Fultz. If Fultz comes out there and you're like, he makes you say at any point like, oh shit, then it's gonna be it's gonna be a tight game. I I don't know if I have the Sixers even third in the East. I, I I'm starting to think I'm buying into the the Bucks Kool Aid. I'm, I'm starting to wonder if Sixers are actually fall to fourth in the East. I just don't think they're in the same class as the Celtics. And the more I talk about these matchups, I think we're, we're going to see that. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm also drink, starting to drink the, the Bucks Kool-Aid as well, but I mean, the Sixers are damn good and it, it's, you're they right. It's, it all comes down to faults. And so there's a reason he was like the, the consensus number one pick, like he is damn good. He had like a little bit of a weird confidence injury thing, but he could come back. He's got the, He's got that famous uh, year under his system, although he didn't play many <laughs> games. So that's going to be a tremendous benefit to him. So um, who knows? He could come out of the gate scorching. Yeah. So, all right. We'll see. We'll we'll be on the postgame podcast to see how that went. Before we come back with our predictions, as I've been telling you guys, check out Locked On Patriots. Patriots, huge win over the Kansas City Chiefs. Patriots, everybody was writing them off. Everybody's running off the Patriots, Tom Brady, blah, blah, blah. No, they're back. They're back. If you're a Patriots fan, go check out Locked On Patriots. Full breakdown on Tuesday, on Monday, I should say, of the uh, the game. It's a big celebratory podcast on Monday. It really gets down to the nitty-gritty. Mark Schofield does a great job with Locked On Patriots. If you are not a Patriots fan, if you hate the Patriots and you're a fan of another team, there's a podcast for you too, Locked On NFL is represented with all teams in the NFL. And of course the lockdown NFL podcast, go search for that wherever you find your podcasts. Okay. Let's rip through some of our season predictions. This is something you wanted to do jam. Yeah. We're an NBA podcast. We got to make predictions that no one's going to hold us accountable to unless we're right. And then we'll trumpet them. Like we were uh, some goddamn geniuses. So, It's exactly how it's it what you do before the season, and so I figured, like, we why not? Let's get let's get ourselves on let's the record do it. here. Let's do it. Where Who do will be the 2018-2019 National Basketball League most valuable player? Uh, I'm gonna go National Basketball League. Touche. <laughs> I'm gonna go with um, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm on board. I'm fully on board. The Greek Freak. I think that they're, they've added some shooting. I think that the uh, Budenholzer system is something that will benefit them. The stability will benefit them. They will not be doing stupid, stupid things. I think they will actually run a quality NBA system on both ends of the floor, and it will result on in a Bucks team that is better than expected, a Bucks team that will be better than the Philly team that everybody's, you know, salivating over. And if the Bucks finish third, if they challenge for second, and Giannis is the clear best player on that team, that's a little bit surprising. I'm going with Giannis Antetokounmpo as my MVP. Yeah, it's it's scary the idea of the the Bucks being coached by a legitimate coach and like the having a legitimate offense. Um, I can definitely see that. Just for the sake of argument, I'm going with another man in the uh, Eastern Conference. I think it's going to be Kawhi Leonard. Um, I think he's heard, although he is a robot and has the, the most terrifying laugh I've ever heard. He's heard that like all the crap that people have talked about him uh, over the past year about how he doesn't have any heart. Uh, he doesn't. He quit on his team. Um, I think he's going to be very committed to basketball, and he's surrounded by uh, a very good basketball team uh, with Kyle Lowry, who's another. He's never been like a, a the best guy in your team, but he's a very competent, very good point guard. Um, I just like their bench players with 
Van Vliet, Siakam, um, OGN, Nubi, uh, even, even Serge Ibaka, who's drastically overpaid, but it, I think it's a solid team. I think the Raptors are going to be damn good. And because of the kind of the, the narrative of, I don't know if a new guy, a new team normally gets the vote for MVP, but I think the Raptors, um, because Kawhi, I think returns to kind of top five player in the league, uh, he definitely has a chance. It feels like, the Lakers with LeBron are not going to be um, good enough for to justify him being MVP. Curry and Durant um, are going to split votes. I think people are are the Rocket. I don't know James Harden. I think could put up the exact same season. I just don't think he has people want to vote for him again just because he travels basically thirty five percent of the time. So I think there's a good chance for this someone in the Eastern Conference to to kind of come up and and be the the MVP. And I think it's one of those two guys we mentioned just because. The Celtics, I think, are actually their depth hurts hurts them in this regard. Um, the only guy I see having a, a chance would be Kyrie, and he would have to put up a, a pretty amazing season, which I think he's capable of. But I still think there's this like weird way in which um, Brad Stevens gets hurt in Coach of the Year because his team's too talented, and like I don't think anyone could get credit for MVP when there's so many good guys on the team that I think that it's harder for a Celtics to get it. So I think. They're, they're two main competition in the East. They're where they're more star centric, have a, have really good chances to win MVP. Okay. That's fair. All right. What's next? Coach of the year. Okay. I'm going with Brad because, um, I feel like there's going to be a little bit of, we should have voted for this guy last year. And I think Brad Stevens has shown that he's in that mix. Uh, the only challenge I think will come from, uh, I, I would say Quinn Snyder. Because yep. I think the Utah Jazz have a very strong possibility of actually getting the top seed in the West because, not because they're the best team in the West necessarily. I think Golden State is going to coast like they usually do. Uh, I think the, the, the Rockets are going to dial it back a notch because they went really, really hard last year, and I, I do think that there's some element of that that caught up to them at the end, and they're just going to say, we don't need to go that hard. And so I think there's an opportunity out west for uh, the, the Utah Jazz, who I think is the third best team in the west, to sneak up to that top seed or challenge for that top seed at least, which would now elevate Quinn Snyder because they weren't supposed to do that. And the, the Celtics – like you said, would if they finish first, that is what they're supposed to do. But I'm it's a little bit of a homer vote for me. But no, not on this podcast. No, I mean I would it, be shocked. I, I admit it, but I, I do think <laughs> I also do legitimately think that there is a little bit of we should have voted for this guy last year, especially if Dwayne Casey now Dwayne Casey not only got fired, if the Pistons are disappointing there's going to be a little bit of that, like, oh, I can't believe I voted for this guy. And there will be a little bit of regret. And I think that would that would move things into Brad Stevens' direction. So I think it will be him and Quinn Snyder pretty close. And if, if the Utah Jazz don't reach that top seed, then I'm going to go with Brad Stevens. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on the Brad train. They messed up last year. Um, the GM survey, even though that's not really – Actually, GM's filling sure. it out, but it's like it's already kind of established that Brad has become top two coach in the league. And I think there's and this kind of happens with awards. Like, well, I think with the Harden MVP is like a lot of people thought, oh, well, he, he should have won it uh, really against Russell Westbrook when Westbrook had the triple double. So we'll give it to him next year. I think this is Brad year. I think you're absolutely right about uh, Quinn Snyder also getting some votes. I could see uh, if the, the Spurs managed to make the playoffs again. And then maybe it's Popovich's last year, him getting uh, some consideration, especially sure, with all yeah. the injuries they have to, to start off the year. Um, and then there's always just like surprise teams who like do better than you would think. Like if the Pacers can finish in the top four, I think Nate, Nate McMillan gets some, some love. But um, if the Pelicans can do anything, I don't know. There's, there's some sleepers who, who you imagine could, could finish well just because the West was so, close last year in terms of seeding, like maybe Billy Donovan if they do well, but actually the more I say those names out loud, the less they appeal to me. I'm going to stick with uh, 
Brad Stevens, Quinn Snyder, and then uh, Nate McMillan and uh, Popovich is my dark horses. I would say my my outside name that people might not say, but I like the team. I like Denver, and I think Mike Malone can get some consideration if Denver is – if they live up to some higher expectations, I think uh, I think Mike Malone is a real dark horse. All right, let's do Rookie of the Year. I'm going to go with Luka Doncic and a whole lot of regret in Atlanta. Uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm seeing just in the preseason, it doesn't really matter much in the preseason, but I'm seeing a guy that looks comfortable in the NBA that looks like he's not going to be kind of wowed by the moment. I think he's in a great situation in Dallas where he's going to get a ton of the playing time. He's got, Dirk there to kind of help him out as a guy who's gone through the international thing, kind of help him with that transition. He's got an ownership group, uh, an an owner, I should say, that gives him every creature comfort, everything that he needs to to be comfortable. It's kind of it's kind of lined up pretty well for him to be rookie of the year. Yeah, the Mavericks, I think, are not going to be terrible. Uh, They did add DeAndre Jordan, like who's not the player he once was, but is still a very, very quality big man and so um they have a decent roster i think they're going to be a little bit better dennis smith jr will probably make a leap in his second year so i can see um donchich coming in and getting a lot of the credit for their improved play my pick who i'm shocked you didn't pick in new york knickerbocker kevin knox yeah um all the knicks have to do is smell the playoffs and new york will go crazy and the east coast bias and the new york media will go insane for the New York Knicks and say, basketball is back. This is the Mecca. Look what Knox and Porzingis are doing. I think there's a lot of hype around that can just be easily be generated around like just some decent basketball from Kevin Knox. And the the other thing is Kevin Knox is really good. (laughs) I think he's going to be one of the major um, scoring options for the Knicks this year, just because they don't have uh, beyond Porzingis uh, and I guess, Tim Hardaway Jr., they don't really have a lot of options. So I can see Knox putting up a lot of points. And I think with that New York, the New York media bump, uh, I could definitely see him winning um, Rookie of the Year. The only other people I consider is, is Trey Young, perhaps, if he just, because the Hawks are going to be bad. So he maybe he just puts up a bunch of points. Sure. Really, Rookie of the Year is just like whoever puts up the most amount of rebounds assistance uh yeah, points per game it's a very raw number type of thing well i can see i can see Knox getting some consideration for sure like he'll definitely make an all rookie team i think i i just don't think the knicks are going to be that good and i don't expect porzingis to come back i don't think he should come back i think it's all kind of lined up for the knicks to just be bad this year they should be bad they should stay bad and let their young players see what mitchell robinson can do Get Tilakina in there. Get him some reps. Make sure that those young guys get the the time and the the opportunity, and let it let it all work out. Let Fizdale do his thing. Let them all kind of play for him and and work it out. And then get Porzingis back next season, uh, fully healthy with another high draft pick and potentially Kevin Durant. That would be like the Knicks. The Knicks would all automatically start to be a challenger for home court the following year. So I don't think they'll be good enough for Kevin Knox to get that consideration. I think Dallas is going to be better than people anticipate. I think people expect Dallas to be bad and it's going to be that same, same thing. That's what it is with these awards. If you're better than you're supposed to be by whatever expectations we have, then you start to get consideration. I think Doncic gets that, that bump from the Mavericks not being absolutely horrible. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It's all narrative. It's all, if it you is. exceed expectations a little bit, you get more award consideration. All right. Defensive player of the year. I haven't thought about this one at all, so I'm just going to say either Rudy Gobert or Joel Embiid. Okay. Uh, both good choices. Gobert. Now, my, my weird MVP, and I talked this, when did I talk about this? I think I talked to you about this on one of the Locked On uh, NBA podcast. If the Utah Jazz do what I said before and uh, steal the top seed, then you're looking at potentially Gobert 
becoming an MVP candidate. However, since you picked those two, I'll, I'll go a little different way. I'm going to say Anthony Davis as Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's going to try like hell to be something more than he has already been. And I think he's he's going to be fighting with Antetokounmpo for the MVP. And yeah, I'm shocked we didn't say his name at all uh, for MVP. And it's kind of uh, upsetting that I didn't think of it right now. Because he's going to – if he puts up a Defensive Player of the Year type year, that he's just with the automatic offense – and rebounds that he just creates by being Anthony Davis. Yeah, like I think if he w- if he wins Defensive Player of the Year, he should automatically win MVP just <laughs> yeah, right. because he's that good. Right. I, I don't disagree with that at all. Uh, I I think I think his his agent switch was part of a strategy to get him exposure. Now, whether part of that exposure involves asking for a trade or eventually going to the Lakers. I, I don't, I don't know. That's too long term. I think in the short term, we have immediately heard him say that he's the best player. He, he is talking himself up. Like he's never talked himself up before. I think that is, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I said rock nation. I meant clutch sports. Um, his clutch sports agency switch is, is part of the, the push to, uh, get him that exposure and this is part of the playbook. And I, I just see him trying to get more endorsements. I think the agent switch was mostly driven by getting him more money off the court so he can maximize being as good as he is. So he's going to be a monster on the floor. I think he's got a different kind of motivation this year. And, while that motivation will make his team better because he just does things that makes his team better. I also think that there is a selfishness that's going to creep into his game and it's going to, tr- it's going to make him a defensive monster because if he's blocking shots and rebounding and getting the ball out there, like those highlights are going to be, and if he's trailing plays, like that's just going to be recipe for crazy highlights all over. The place. <laughs> and if he's putting up like 44 and 20, like he was in the playoffs, like Jesus, on a consistent yeah. basis, like, Oh yeah. man, yeah. yeah they, I think I have to officially switch my MVP pick to him. That just, <laughs> I'm salivating over here just thinking about Anthony Davis playing. He's yeah, it's gonna he's be the fun. pick. He's the pick for everything. He's he's gonna win six man of the year too. Yeah, right, right. Somehow he'll do that. Are we moving? On um, to six I don't man? think we can pick six. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't. I'm gonna say Isaiah Thomas. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say. I know that people who are listening will say Terry Rozier, right? Uh, I don't think that Rozier is going to put up the big numbers. I think it'll be J.J. Redick. If, if they're starting Markel Fultz, if they continue to start Markel Fultz, and the caveat is that Fultz is effective enough as a starter where it kind of works, and Redick starts more games on the bench than uh, he starts, obviously. That's, what, that's the requirement. So, But they've already talked about starting Redick in, in second halves. So if he starts the game on the bench and then comes in and is playing starter minutes, then he he has the potential to put up the points and and it's like they're fixing the stats just to get him uh, to be yeah. sixth man of the year. I it's wouldn't kinda, be surprised. Uh, oh man, I'm going to campaign actively against him. Although all your points are valid, he probably deserves it uh, just based on the silly criteria that is that uh, that award. Right, right. He's going to be a starter level guy coming off the bench, putting up starter level numbers he's he's gonna average like 16 points a game and and be effective off the bench and i i can see that totally happening and we always and when you're talking about six men of the year you just gotta talk about lou williams because right. it's his, award, always, to, it's it's his always, award to lose right it's just he's always in the lead just put him in there in sharpie all right let's let's wrap this bad boy up because we've been going on forever um your finals prediction and winner in how many games your matchup and then who wins and how many games? Uh, the Golden State Warriors against your Boston Celtics. And I'm going to go Boston Celtics seven games because they'll have home court advantage and they're going to win the NBA championship this season. Yep. Book Put it. the words right out of my mouth. Celtics in seven. Woo. I mean, it's it's... 
it's all building towards this. They're the, uh, it's the only thing that makes sense. And, uh, for it to come true, we have to predict it now. Um, if we don't predict it now, it won't come true. You have to be able to post things into, into existence. Positive psychology. We have to believe the Celtics in seven. No, I'm going to change it. Celtics in six. Why not? We got to have some positive behavior. We got, we're Kaizen right now. It's opening night tomorrow. We got to make incremental progress and keep moving forward. And so I think that for Celtics fans, you have to believe in the Celtics and propel them to victory through your sheer will. And so Celtics in six over the Warriors. That's the official prediction. Lock it in. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. Yeah, why not? Why not? Season starts Tuesday. Let's get crazy excited. Uh, I think that's a good enough podcast to get your subscription. Search for Lockdown Celtics however you found us. First of all, if you're new to the podcast, I keep saying it, but you never know. Every day, somebody else is sampling the podcast. We hope that you are enjoying it. I've seen a lot of people on Twitter today. There's always, at the beginning of the season, people on Twitter are saying, hey, quote tweet this with your favorite people and this and that and favorite podcasts. And a lot of people mention us, which I want to thank everybody for seriously, seriously. I love that you guys love us enough. I ask you to share the podcast every day and you're doing it. That's really awesome. I love that you're doing it. So those new listeners, please subscribe. We're everywhere. If you're listening on the web, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, go to Google, go everywhere. We are everywhere podcast exists. If you are a subscriber, we need that five-star rating. We need a good review so we can continue to rise in the rankings. We're getting up there, but we need to be the best. We know we're the best, but we need these. We need the system to validate us. So please do that. And of course, like I just said, share the podcast, spread the word, tell everybody to listen to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.